0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the Business Station.
1: No player will go back if it's not safe to do so. Mm. I can't see how you can play football and social distance at the same time, but I mean these are the questions that you know people need to ask and they need to be answered. Um It's as simple as that, you know, we have to follow the guidelines we are at the minute, we're doing what we're told. Um there's going to be a time when questions need to be asked and us as players need to answer them. And if we can't, we're doing it, and we have to see what the rest of the, the country are doing in terms of social distancing. And then we go from there.
0: On the ball on BFM
2: 89.9. That was West Ham's Jack Wilshire. He feels that players need a lot of questions to be answered before they are able to return to football action. We are in action right now, this evening, on the ball, in lockdown, with me, Ross, and my very special guests via Zoom. We have Bob Holmes. Hi, everybody. We have Craig Wilkie. Good evening, Ross. Good evening, everyone. And Keishnan is here as well. Hello, hello. Now, you'll see the pictures on social media. Keish has going all <coughs> skinhead on us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tough <time>. I have to say...
2: Tweet us at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Let's start with the big news of the week then. And I guess it's great news, guys. Uh, Sport is to return to the UK from the 1st of June onwards. The British government have released a 50-page document entitled Our Plan to Rebuild the UK Government's COVID-19 Recovery Strategy. Bit of a mouthful. And it states that uh, social large-scale social events um, behind closed doors can take place from June the 1st, which means football's been given the green light, Bob Holmes.
1: Uh, yes, um, but it hasn't given itself the green light yet, has it? <laughs> that's, uh, that's the problem. They seem to be taking uh, one step forward and two steps back in the... In the talks, um, very slow progress and new obstacles keep popping up, which were previously not seen. Um, now the players are objecting to one or two of the protocols and not feeling entirely safe. But yes, I mean, uh, it was always expected that the government would give the go-ahead. It's very much in their interests to have football back because they see it. As boosting the morale of the nation, well, one uh, notable player had a comment on that. I'm sure you'll come to that later, Ross. Yeah. Um, but uh, staying but yeah, alive is a bit um, of a boost as well. Sport, yeah, sport is, is basically been given the um, the go ahead, uh, and uh, it's up to football now to sort it out, and it's taking a heck of a lot of sorting. But then, yeah. to be fair. It is yeah. an amazingly complex situation, isn't it?
2: It's, it's crazy. Um, Craig, do, do you reckon the EPL players are being kind of like guinea pigs here in, in this situation? It seems a bit like it, doesn't it?
3: Well, I don't know, to be honest. It's, it's a reasonable question. Let, I'll, I'll tell you what, where I stand on this. I think players, any player has a right as an individual to determine what level of risk they're willing to bear in this scenario. So I think anyone as an individual can decide, yeah, this is, this is too far for me or, or not. Of course, I mean, like any of us, footballers face a situation whereby if your employer tells you that work is open and that you're required to return to work, um, then as far as I'm aware, you're more or less contractually obliged to do so. Um, obviously, football is slightly different to some other workplaces in terms of what people are going to be potentially exposed to in terms of the contact and, and everything else. Um, But I think if the protocols are put in place as are being discussed, and Bob's right that there's a lot of discussion still going on around those, there's a lot of disagreement, Um, there's a way to go still, Um, but I think they will reach a resolution on that. I think the season will restart. And I expect, especially because it's going to happen after the Germans have already done so, potentially after even the Italians and the Spanish have done so as well, I think the momentum will be such that it's very difficult to see a player actually really going as far as saying, I'm not going to take that field when my team lines up to restart the season.
2: Okay. Um, I'm bring, bringing Keish in here. Keish Danny Rose, I quote, says, I don't give a bleep about the nation's morale. People's, people's lives are at risk. Football shouldn't even be spoken about coming back until the numbers have dropped massively. It's rubbish. Well, I added rubbish. He used a stronger word. But... I mean, we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago when, when the Kaylee came back. They, they literally had zero infections on the 4th of May and then announced yeah. the week after, right, it's safe to come back. Surely that's the way to go,
0: Kish. And that's the thing, really. Um, I, I don't think people are questioning the desire to get Premier League back on track. I think obviously everyone would want to see that. I think it's a question of when do you make that call, because uh, if you're going to base it upon um, like the blueprint of the South Korean move or the Bundesliga move, even you got to look at their numbers. It's far, you know, it's it's far safer for them uh, when they made that call. You look at South Korea; they've had what ten thousand cases with mm. two hundred and sixty deaths. You you look at Germany, right? One hundred and seventy-four thousand cases, seven thousand.
2: Keisha's completely frozen there. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll cut. Uh, <laughs> okay, Bob. Bob, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said, I'm not going to force any Man United player who's, you know, who has any concerns about coming back. Is that the way to go? And, and is that going to work out like that?
1: Well, uh <laughs> It wouldn't normally, but these are abnormal circumstances, aren't they? And um, I think it's fair enough. I mean, uh, several other managers have said that they won't force players to play if they don't feel comfortable. This is a unique situation. It's never happened before. Um, I think that's fair enough. I think the vast majority will be prepared to play. I mean, I, I think, in fact, they're itching to play. But to be fair to the players, when they look at the risks, they see that the statement has now changed from when it's completely safe to when it's as safe as it can be. Now that's a significant difference. And when they look at the news, and they see packed tube trains, and they see the risks that other people are taking, and they are gonna get special treatment, for most of the journey they're going to be put in a bus and no one else is going to be on that bus and they're going to be kept well apart from each other and all that sort of thing but there's still a risk and it's a contact sport those people on the tube are not tackling each other they're not going up for headers they're not you know lining up in a wall for a free kick just outside the box so Inevitably, there's going to be a lot more contact in football than there is in other spheres of life. Yeah. And I think that they're, they're right to be very wary about this situation, right to be asked for more reassurance.
2: Yeah. Um, um, Keith, let's bring you back in because you, you were frozen in time earlier on. Um, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the the subject of neutral venues looks like that's been kicked out of the window. It looks like clubs will probably play at their home grounds. What about this five substitutes allowed? Apparently, this FIFA proposal's been accepted. Um, they're going to allow it because of the sheer number of games in a short period of time that players have to get through. I mean, uh, that's along the line later on though, right?
0: I think it was allowed under the pretext that um, they're going to compress the fixtures in a lot of the leagues so like the South Korean league is obviously going to you know let the games play out as it is but a number of the leagues not just in Europe but also across the world are considering a more compressed version of their fixtures and if you're going to compress them into a shorter period of time you obviously you know you, you've got to play a game every three days and you've got a limited squad um, and, and you know it's, it's going to open up players to p- potential injuries and fatigue and so it's a temporary rule that has been extended till the end of 2020 for these leagues to then, um, you know, uh, access most substitutions during the game to preserve players that have are carrying injuries or that are fatigued or, and, and stuff like that, which, which I think is a great move um, in view of a lot of the changes that are going to happen to a lot of the leagues around the globe. But just going back to completely uh, the, the Premier League and exactly what Bob was mentioning, I think players are itching to get back, right? But. Before any leaks around the world in any country can make that call, you've got to first look at the numbers in your own country and be absolutely certain that things are safe already. And in the, and, and in, in the UK at the moment, the, the, the number of cases are still pretty high. The number of death is still pretty high. The, the number of deaths in the UK has surpassed the total number of deaths in Italy at the moment. The total number of cases in the UK has surpassed the number of cases in the Italy at the moment. And I think that's what's concerning people. It's the fact that the call is being made at a point where the numbers haven't dropped drastically yet.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly it. And it's even worse in, in like Scotland and, and oh, isn't it, Craig Wilkie? Well, I was worse reading an article. From, from sorry, I read an article today <laughs> that said Boris is just England's prime minister. I thought we're not a political show here, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well,
3: we're, well, we're not. But actually, there's, I think there's a serious point in all of that, which is, I think some of the communication that's come out from government and the authorities, especially in the UK, has been very confusing. I know a lot of people back home are, are feeling um, a little bit Fake. confused right now. As, as, yeah, exactly. As to, as to what's possible and what's not possible, what's allowed and what's not allowed. And that's true just of general life. And so I think if you're a footballer looking at the situation, you're also wondering I mean, it does seem a little bit strange to me, and I'm one of those who think that, by and large, it is safe to play. I, th- I think it's essentially safe to play tomorrow, given the protocols that they're they're talking about. But if you're a footballer, it's a little bit strange if they tell you, on the one hand, you can go into training tomorrow and you're you're not allowed near anybody. Okay, You've got to essentially still keep social distancing. You're not allowed to tackle. You're not allowed to do contact of any kind. And yet those same authorities are telling you that in three, four weeks' time, it's more or less back to normal. You can just go out and play 90 minutes as you were. So... It's, I think that's part of what the confusion comes from is, is why is everything so guarded right now? And yet we assume that in two or three weeks, everything's safe to just do as they please.
2: If it's vague to normal, intelligent people, can you imagine how hard it is for footballers to grasp?
1: <laughs> uh, Ross, you're, you're <laughs> I think you're being a bit unkind. Uh, I am, I, I am. I'm, I'm, get, I'm, footballers <laughs> are getting a lot of stick. Um, no need, no need to give them any more. And I think um, I think that actually in the, in the last sort of two or three weeks, they've emerged possibly um, to the surprise of many with a few uh, smart suggestions and some intelligent concerns. And by and large, they're probably not as dumb as we think they are.
2: Have
3: you been elected to the PFA, Bob? <laughs>
2: it sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> Speaking, speaking of intelligent footballers, Wolves midfielder Morgan Gibbs-White faces disciplinary action after being pictured attending a party in London last week. Uh, see, um, yeah, he's, what, one of four or five we've read so far. I mean, at the end of the day, they're all going stir crazy. They're super mega rich. They can do what they want.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's only been a handful, as you say. I mean, these are fit young guys who've been basically locked up against their will, against anything they've ever known in their lives, and they don't see any great risk. I mean, even if they get the, um, the virus, the chances are very much on, on them uh, not really suffering very much at all, exceptional cases to be sure, but the odds are very much on it being no more than flu, and if somebody calls them up and says, look, there's a party around the corner tonight, nine o'clock, there's this and that and the other, I won't go into detail, but um, they, uh, they're going to be tempted, aren't they? Uh, you know, they'll look at the risk, they weigh it up in about two seconds, uh, a 0.01% chance of, of getting the virus, a 0.000.1% chance of dying from it. What would you do? When you were 22, 23 years old, Ross, I know what you would have done.
2: <laughs>
0: Send your party invites to <laughs> Bob at <Holmes> at gmail.com. Tish, <laughs> anything you want to add to that? No, I it's, mean, it's just problematic because. Uh, Footballers, they're treated as as icons for for the youth and they're a reflection of what people ought to do. And it's not just the case in the Premier League as well. I think one of the more um, well-documented cases in Europe is actually uh, Real Madrid striker Luka Jovic, who uh, broke um, the curfew to not just leave Spain and go back to Serbia, but in Serbia as well, there's been a lot of uh, rumours about him misbehaving, leaving his house, walking across Belgrade, visiting shops and towns and things like that, not even fulfilling the necessary mandatory quarantine that was required of him once he had come from Spain. So it's, it, you've seen some high profile cases all over Europe as well. Um, I mean, oh, yeah, sure, we can, we can say that it's understandable. But bottom line is right now, it, it doesn't matter whether you're a player, you're a regular human being, you know, lives are at stake and it, it, it's, it, it comes down to just how you behave and how you carry yourself in the public scene.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Right, we're gonna take our first break. Uh when we come back we'll find out about Project Restart. Is it ever gonna start? Find out next.
1: Worth well, the try, and he's always prepared to give it a go.
0: On the ball on DFM eighty nine point nine.
2: Deserved a goal, that. Love the return pass. Just wide. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. On the ball in lockdown. Bob Holmes, Craig Wilkie and Kishnan in the studio. We're, we're talking about, well, whether EPL is going to resume soon. Project Restart is the working title uh, to, to get the, the football back on in England. Some of the... the well, they've started training. Training grounds are open. Apparently, they, we, we mentioned it before. They've got to get changed in cars. They've got to come wearing masks. And, and I, I don't understand. I saw an interview with Paul Skulls, Craig Wilkie, um, I think yesterday, saying, how can you not tackle people? And if you tackle people, that's contact. What, what kind of training are you doing? <laughs> Well, Paul Scholes is a well-known expert in tackling,
3: as, uh, <laughs> as he puts <laughs> it here. So, probably There's probably another Scholes tackle arriving a little bit late sometime next week before the whole thing kicks off. Um, but yeah, I think he's just pointing out that, that fact, right? Of, and it actually leads, leads on from, from what the guys were saying earlier. You know, you've got, you've got these players who've been cooped up at home for a couple of months, who've been training by themselves, trying to keep themselves in, in shape in some sort of fitness. And now you're finally letting them go back out. You're letting them back on the training pitch, giving them the ball at their feet. And it's quite, I'm sure it must be a very strange scenario to be in those training grounds right now and just be knocking the ball back and forth like, like I do at the dad's match on a Saturday morning and trying to, <laughs> trying to avoid contact like that. So, um, but again, I go back to my earlier, earlier point. You know, if, if in two or three weeks' time, they're going to be back on their, on their home grounds um, involved in full contact football, then I think sooner, sooner rather than later, they're going to be have, have to allowed to do that in, in training as well. So I know the situation is very fluid and the, the guidelines are being updated all the time. So I think everybody is just being super extra cautious right now. And that's why we have you know, the, the level of um, caution that's being applied at the moment. But I think it will be actually lifted quite soon in terms of what people are allowed to do.
2: Well, apparently, ongoing surveillance measures uh, are are taking place. They're going to have twice-weekly testing. Uh, Their their training's cut down to 75 minutes. Uh, Corner flags, balls, cones, goalposts, even playing surfaces will be disinfected after each session. Um, We should open a cleaning company, Bob.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, mentioning uh, corner flags, I was, I was just thinking about Tim Cahill. He wouldn't be able to do his famous goal celebration, would he? Well,
2: with you know, gloves. he bash the
1: corner flag with gloves. Yeah, yeah. Now, it, um, it does make you realize um, how, how many things there are out there uh, with, uh, with potential for, for catching this thing, doesn't it? Um, they're even going to disinfect the pitch. Um, I'd like to see how much. I mean, we all see them uh, with the sprinklers on at half time and that sort of thing. It looks like they're flooding it, but it miraculously becomes playable about five minutes later. Um, if they're going to put disinfectant into that, um, I just wonder what what sort of effect that's going to have on the on the grass and everything else. The well manicured pitches that we see. Um, yeah, an incredible amount to consider, and it's not a surprise that these negotiations keep going on and on, but I do feel they could meet a little bit more often. They only seem to be getting together about once a week, and they're using all this time up, aren't they? And if they're not going to start until late June, which is what's likely now, they're going to be very close to the start of next season. So there isn't gonna be much of a break. This is assuming everything goes all right, yeah. uh, which is a pretty big assumption. Um, there's gonna be hardly any uh, time between this season and next season, which is another consideration because they haven't really had a proper break. We know we've been, they've been off but it's not being like a normal summer break where players relax, has it, this, this whole thing. You can't pretend it has. So I, I fear that the, there's going to be a serious knock-on effect into next season. But I think nobody's worrying about that now. The priority is just to get this season yeah. done. And then yeah. we worry about that when it comes.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're we we we're only talking EPL. There, there are still European games to play. I was reading something like Man City has something like 19 games to complete if they're going to fulfil all their matches. keech is that possible, you reckon? I mean, in that time frame that Bob's just mentioned?
0: No, I, I think at some point, it will it, boil down to leagues getting postponed as well. But I think at the moment, not just for the Premier League or the Major Leagues, but even for UEFA, at the moment, it's just about sorting out the existing situation um, because you've got contractual obligations with sponsors, with broadcasters to fulfill. And at the same time, you've got player contracts dwindling down as well. And all of that is in like in the context of the current season. Once the current season is sorted out, then you can figure out how to finish the, um, the European season or, or sorry, how do you launch the new season? And I think there's going to be a bit of a hiccup as well because um, for individual leagues to Resume it it always comes down to the purview of the government of that particular country with a bit of advice from UEFA and all together. But when it comes to resuming European competition, it involves getting multiple governments involved, and that's a lot that's a bit difficult because, on one hand, you've got England, Germany, Italy, um, Spain, all you know, good to resume the leagues, but France have cancelled the league. You know, and 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 how do how does the European League in France then 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 uh, how does the the teams in France then participate in the European competition? So there's a lot of um, politics involved when it comes to European competition because it, cause it's involving teams from multiple countries, and I think that's a bit more complex.
2: Yeah, we we're going to delve into in into the, the the French decision later on, but but Craig Wilkie, there's going to come a point. Say, I mean, okay, it's been June 12 proposed start first. Now we hear June nineteenth. They're meeting again on Monday. The, the Premier League and, and, and the clubs. Um, it can't get put back to what final week of June, or, or start in July. When will when do you reckon they'll they make the decision and go? Listen, Liverpool, I'm sorry, man.
3: <laughs> you just won't let that one go, will you, Ross? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I mean, it's it's true as the guys were saying that. Um, it does seem as though the talks are progressing rather slowly, even despite being given the the green light more or less by government. There does, I think, there does seem to be more complications in the English case from what I can understand than has, has been around elsewhere. I mean, I've not heard of any other of the leagues even mentioning the neutral venues option, for instance. Yeah. Um, they seem to be taking it as given that they'll go ahead, everybody playing at their own ground. So even that, I think, has proved a big, big span in the works and one that I've never understood because to me, neutral venues don't solve any of the problems that they're, they're intended to, and they only create additional ones potentially. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's all, so many different things to think about. E- even the point that Bob made, right, about disinfecting the pitch. I mean, it, when it gets down to that level, which I think is brilliant just because it's going to have a whole new level of excuses for managers, right? So I, I, I tip Mourinho to be the first one to say that there was too much disinfectant on the pitch. That's why my players couldn't pass the ball properly. So
2: we're, de- we're, definitely, we're
3: definitely going to see
2: that coming soon. Any spare disinfectant, Donny will lap it up, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh,
2: Serie A plans to start up on June the 13th. Maybe the Premier League, when they see Italy start up, might get a little bit uh, embarrassed and, 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 you know, Italy were were the worst hit, right? I mean, of all the, the, the European nations.
1: Well, they were. It looked like it. But uh, Britain has actually uh, surpassed their total. Yeah. And what worries me about this is the uh, you like to think that the Premier League can sit back and look at South Korea, the Bundesliga, the Spanish league Italian league and learn from those experiences see what mistakes they make and and you know not make them themselves but if they follow what the government has done they had that privilege too because somehow britain got the virus later on in the peace and was able to watch italy's total rise and they learned absolutely nothing from it and, and it, it's been a, a complete and utter shambles. In fact, the whole Western world, the further West you go, the bigger the cock up is. I mean, even <laughs> South America, not, not, we all know about North America, but even South America and Mexico, they've, they've got terrible problems there. And yet they had all this time to observe what was happening in other countries. So I just hope that football doesn't follow the same pattern. The Premier League, they are usually a bit more switched on than the British government. Let's hope they will learn the lessons from the experiences of the other countries. Uh, I mean, you've had it it staggered. South Korea's already done it. Bundesliga next up. So you've got plenty of opportunity. And these countries will share their experiences. There's nothing going to be, nothing's going to be kept secret here. They will pass it on. Yep. So really, the English Premier League is in a very good position to get this right. But I, I wouldn't put my house on them doing so.
2: Okay, well, I, I tell you what, it's getting close to the point where they just get rid of Boris and bring in Big Sam to sort things out. We're going <laughs> for a break. <laughs> when we come back, then Serie a, uh, we'll talk about La Liga and, and France as well. Stay tuned.
1: What about that clearance off the line? How important did that turn out to be in the end?
0: On the ball on BFM
1: 89.9. It is a fine
2: goal.
0: Fine header, fine goal. On the ball on BFM 89.9.
2: And we are back on the ball in lockdown with me, Ross and Bob Holmes, Craig Wilkie and Kishnan. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Um, we spoke about La Liga. They, they, uh, sorry, we spoke about Serie A before the break. They're hoping to start on 13th of June. Apparently, La Liga president Javier Tebas hopes for a 12th of June restart. Now, Spain, like Italy, was was quite severely affected as well. Um, Javier Tebas came out, Bob, and and said. It will restart on the 12th of June. He says the coronavirus test will mean practically zero risk to players during games.
1: Well, that's an optimistic uh, viewpoint, isn't it? Given that uh, several players have actually come down with it already. Uh, three at Brighton. Um, three, uh, three at uh, Leverkusen, I think, wasn't it? In Germany. No, no, Dresden. Dresden. Um, and those um, those teams, those squads have had to be quarantined, which has upset the um, fixture list, obviously, affects the, uh, the opposing team. It doesn't need many, a couple or three maybe, to put a serious spanner in the works because if they're going to be quarantined, it's 14 days, which covers two or possibly three games in the fixture list, affecting if it's three clubs it's going to affect six clubs isn't it so you you're looking at a sizable uh impact on on this whole thing i mean let's that's worst case scenario i think i hope it doesn't happen but uh you know it's there it's a risk so i i think he's being you know he's always a very bullish character tebest and i mean he's done he's done some good things but uh yeah uh, he's he's going to be uh, surprised, I think, by the rate of infection, and let's just hope that it's minimal, because you know, it it's a high risk thing. This you're talking about two hundred or three hundred people attending these games. You're not just talking about the team yes. or even the squad. If a broadcaster, if a if a security guy, out of the in this bubble, gets tested positive, it's going to affect the whole thing. So it, it's a bit higher risk than what he is saying, to be honest.
2: Well, they have started testing players last week in Spain, and uh, there have been five positive uh, tests already, which apparently, according to Tebas, is great for the industry. So, Craig, they're talking not only La Liga to start up, but the second division in Spain – We'll start up on the twelfth of June as well. That's bold.
3: Yeah, it is it is bold. Um, I think you made a great point earlier. You know, given what the situation was in Spain really not very long ago at all. I mean I think if we'd been having this conversation just a couple of weeks ago, we, we would have been shaking our heads at any prospect of La Liga getting started in the middle of next month. But again, that that goes back to just how, how quickly this whole situation can change. And Clearly in Spain, they feel as though they are in a position to do that. And it does seem to me as though La Liga has been more bullish, more gung-ho than most, at least in terms of pronouncements coming from the league itself, in terms of getting football back, the importance of getting football back. Well, I think they're even talking about um, playing a game every single day, um, partly, as, partly as a way of getting the, the fixtures completed, but I think also as a, as a kind of spectacle, giving broadcasters something that they can work with the whole way through. Um, but I do think there's that point that Bob made about if, if players do test positive, then the big call really is whether the whole team has to go into quarantine or whether you can find a way to just isolate those those one or two cases of individuals who are actually affected. And I think whatever decision they come to on that will actually really go a long way to determining whether these leagues are able to finish and complete the whole program.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, Kish, that, that is the point exactly. It's all very fine starting up again. What happens if one team has two players affected in week two of the restart? I mean, what, what's a sensible way, you reckon, that we can get well, out of this?
0: You, you've got to completely quarantine the team. Um, it's just so then. They, it, so
2: then that team doesn't play again for two weeks.
0: No, exactly, no. But that's, that's exactly what the South Korean League is doing at the moment. Part of their protocol for restarting the league is... They insist that during the league, or even before any of the games, is if any of the players is to be found positive, then they would quarantine the entire team for two weeks. They would prevent them from playing any games for two weeks, and even the teams that they have played prior to that. So, say for example, Team A had already played last weekend. The team that the, the opposition that they face would also have to be tested and, and quarantined. It's part and parcel of of uh, the risks that you've uh, that, that you've got to take if you're going to restart the league because. The thing about this virus is we're still in very early stages. I mean, obviously, we understand what the virus is, but our understanding of the virus is still very minimal, right? It's, it, it's still evolving. It's still uh, ever-changing um, every time it, 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 it mutates and stuff like that. So there's still char- characteristics of the way it spreads that we still don't understand. You still have asymptomatic cases going around everywhere as well. And as Bob pointed out, it's not just the case of worrying about the 22 players that are on the pitch. Yeah. Not just about the substitutes that are on the bench. You've got broadcasters, commentators, camera, camera operators that are on the sidelines, right? You've got individuals involved in the security of the stadium. Every time a match day happens, like easily hundreds get called into work. And every single one of them have to be treated with the same amount of care that the footballers get if you're going to severely minimize the risk. Even then, if someone gets infected, you, you, you've got to bite the bullet and say it's quarantined for at least a couple of weeks.
2: Okay. well, uh, Real Madrid captain Sergio Ramos says players and football can help the economy work again. Football is secondary right now, but it can serve as a distraction for the people who have been suffering in Spain. Good luck, La Liga. Let's talk about France, Bob. Um, We said something like this would happen. Um, The the French uh, called off Ligue 1 the, the entire season. They handed the awarded PSG the title last month. They relegated Toulouse and Amiens from uh, the uh, Liga. Amiens have now come out and started a legal case because they were 19th in the table. They were four points behind the team who were in 18th, 10 points ahead of Toulouse. So Toulouse are down. They, they got no fight here. But there were
1: 10 matches to play. And Amiens have a pretty good case here, Bob. Absolutely. Um, I mean, this is what happens when you jump the gun, isn't it? Um, I mean, when you think of all the great escapes from relegation, which is a big part of football, let's face it, um, some of the famous escapes from relegation in the Premier League that we can remember. the final game. Epic stuff. I mean, probably long after the championship, the title has actually been decided, but everybody's watching this desperate stuff at the bottom end of the table. And sometimes it's actually better viewing than it is at the top. When it gets to this point, I remember West Brom when Brian Robson was manager. Oh yeah. That was was one of the most famous escapes. And when, when the final whistle went, West Brom did it and the, the pitch was just an absolute sea of humanity in seconds. How the people responded, that sort of thing. Now, we're not saying Amiens would have done that, would have, would have escaped, but the point is, they weren't given the chance to do so. And they were far from certain to go down in their position. Toulouse were virtually certain, mathematically, almost mathematically certain. But Amiens had a fighting chance. Yeah, and to arbitrarily say that they're down—no, that's that's absolutely wrong. As as the Brighton chairman said, nobody should get relegated by uh, 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 you know without actually playing. Yeah, I think that's right right across the board.
2: Yeah, um, well, uh, apparently the suggestion to increase league to 22 teams instead of 20 for next season was rejected. Uh, Amiens club lawyer uh, Christophe Bertrand says, we're not contesting the decision to stop the, de- the season. That's not really the object of these proceedings. Uh, it would be inappropriate. It's just the consequences of the decisions that were taken. So this one could run. We'll keep an eye on it. Uh, we're going for another very, very short break. Our final one, when we come back, we're actually going to talk about some football action that you can watch this weekend. (laughs) Stay tuned. Fine save by the goalkeeper spreading himself.
0: On the ball on BFM 89.9. And he's been absolutely brilliant.
2: On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us on the ball in lockdown with uh, Craig, Bob, and Kish. Starting with you, Kish. Uh yeah, we're coming to K-League as well, round two of K-League. But the Bundesliga is back. And it's a big one. This is the, the first of the big five leagues, uh, if you like. To return, so all eyes on Germany, especially yours this weekend.
0: Of course, and I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better game than Borussia Dortmund versus Schalke, right? <laughs> it's an absolute, absolute huge game. Um, it's, it's just great to get, to get the Bundesliga back out. Um, they've been really sensible in evaluating the situation, of course. They've been able to flatten the curve. Um, the, the, the numbers have significantly dropped uh, and, you know, they've been a- affording the team uh, time to sort of uh, get back into the rhythm and, and, and they're getting back into action as well. And by no means, honestly, even, even before most of the European leagues went into lockdown, the Bundesliga was easily the most exciting league in Europe this season. Uh, with, with the kind of title race that we're getting uh, with, with Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, Red Bull Leipzig. Gladback are still in the mix as well. Leverkusen aren't too far off. You've got five teams completely competing against each other. And I think with, with, the, with, with the league coming back, um, I think that will be the centre of attention that will dominate discussion yeah. over um, the next few weeks. And I think this is, this is an important opportunity for Bundesliga, Ross, because over the years, it has always played second, third, fourth fiddle to some of the other major leagues in Europe. This is the one opportunity for it to gain significant market capital across the world especially in places like asia where it's so premier league dominated now if premier league Serie A, um, la liga gets the, the start we don't even know for certain yet when they're restarting it's all rumors at the moment but over the next one month over the next one and a half months if the drama at the top of the bundesliga continues um then it's it's a fantastic opportunity for the bundesliga to, to significantly gain a new following across the world
2: it's a four-point lead, Craig Wilkie, for Bayern Munich at the top. They are away against Union Berlin. That's your late Sunday game, midnight. That one kicks off. Uh, Dortmund Schalke kicks off proceedings nine thirty on Saturday evening. Craig, who's your what, What's your favourite German team then? Uh, that's a good question. You must have maybe,
3: one. Maybe you have to... I think, well, Dortmund's a very obvious choice, and it's, uh, I think it's a lot of people's favourite German team, or a lot of, a lot of people have, have Dortmund as kind of second team because of the, the fan base and the whole spectacle of their stadium and everything. So, yeah, but as you say, it's just fantastic to have some, some football like this to look forward to. And I think we've been talking about all these you know protocols and the, the flattening of the curve and everything else for, for so long now, that actually just to be looking forward to... The drama and the excitement of um, we've actually forgotten you know how how some of these leagues are poised um yeah. so it's going to be great to see how that unfolds and, and something else that we've talked about on the show before and, it, and I think we're going to get our first real answer this weekend is how, how are the how are these players going to react you know what sort of form are they going to be in are we going to see some real big shocks you know that game you mentioned about Bayern it's a good time to play Bayern isn't it you, you have no idea <laughs> um what sort what sort of state those players are going to be in both in terms of fitness both in terms of you know how, how they're gelling together tactically and, and all of that. So I think it's going to be real exciting stuff for the first couple of weeks coming back. And as, as Keish mentioned, a great opportunity in the spotlight for German football. And I'm sure they're they're open and aware of that fact and they'll be doing everything they can to maximise that too.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hope, fingers crossed. But Bob, how is it we're, we're laughing at the potential June 19th restart of the EPL? We're, we're kind of sniggering at Serie A and La Liga, but Germany's starting this weekend, and we're all going, yeah, 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 let's watch, see how the Germans do it, because they do it right.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, (laughs) they do tend to get these sort of things right, don't they? Um, But what worries me about this is that, okay, it's a blockbuster opening fixture list, but is it going to highlight the weakness Of behind closed doors, because this game, Schalke versus Borussia Dortmund, is one of the great derbies of the world. Yeah, you know, it's it's up there with the. It's all about the fans in
2: this one. That that big yellow wall.
1: Yeah, no yellow wall. Uh, No Schalke fans. Um, You know, and this is going to be a massive miss. Okay, the game should be competitive. But having seen that game with the South Korean game last week, I mean, it wasn't that bad, uh, actually, to be fair to the players. I think coming back like that, they didn't do too badly. But it it really was empty, wasn't it? I mean, not just the ground, but the whole thing, the whole atmosphere. To me, I mean, if if my wife, who's a football atheist, had walked in (laughs) And seen me watching that game and said, what is it about this that you love so much? I couldn't <laughs> have given her an answer, to be honest. Not a single thing, really. And that's what worries me about this. Schalke versus uh, Bursia Dortmund should be an absolute cracker. It's like Liverpool against Everton, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine that with no fans? Well, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but uh, it worries me. It just might highlight the deficiencies of playing behind closed doors. And we or, might have this for a, for a couple of years.
2: Yeah, exactly. I was, I was going to pipe in with that. All right, let's segue to Keish and the K League. Keish, one of the things Bob mentioned about the ghostly silence Last weekend, we saw Jongbook against Suwon. There, were, there was piped fan noises and chanting yeah. and singing played into the stadium. I mean, that's got to be the way to go. Because I was about to tweet, who the heck is singing?
0: <laughs> it divided opinions. I mean, there were people who weren't too happy with the noises. But I, for once, I didn't think I'd like it. But while watching it, it was actually a pretty decent experience. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a lot better than hearing the coach clapping on the touchlines or hearing a <laughs> bottle of water is being thrown down. And, you know, it's, it's a lot better than that. Um, and it gave it a, a bit of life while I was watching the game. Um, it's one of those things that you've got to experience. I think the reality is that we cannot run away from playing behind closed doors for the foreseeable future. It's like it or not, we with- have got to just bite the bullet and, and accept that. Uh, we, we, we Obviously, we'd like to romanticize the idea of fans. But right now, we just can't have fans in the stadium. And the only thing that we can do is just find ways to make it work. Um, injecting artificial noise is certainly a way. And I, and having experienced it at least once now, I think it's a good way to go. Um, just I, I don't know if they pumped it in the stadium speakers or they artificially put it in the broadcast truck. I don't know that, but if they were to put it in the stadiums, even better for the players. Um, you've got teams like Borussia Mönchengladbach who have uh, installed uh, card bots of their fans yeah. in their own stadiums um, with, with messages. And banners of ultras are going to be allowed in the stadiums as well. And I think that's a, that's a good way to remind the players of what they're actually playing for on the pitch, especially in some of these biggest uh, bigger fixtures. And you've got to find bits and pieces of these ways to not just give fans a better atmosphere or a better feeling of watching at home, but to also give players that reason to go that extra mile when it hits the 80th minute, when it hits the 85th minute. Because those, those goals, those moments more often than not change the outcomes of games um, in, in football.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Keish also mentioned uh, what a great shot in the arm it would be for the uh, Bundesliga uh, to start this weekend. Let, let me read you some figures, uh, Craig. 3.4 million viewers on Twitter for, Jew, uh, for Jongbook against Suwon. Uh, what? They had uh, Turkey represented 18% of the audience share, Brazil 15%, 234,000 people watched it on YouTube. These are astonishing figures for a 1-0 game, which was, let's face it, pretty dull.
3: <laughs> yeah, the game itself wasn't the greatest, but... As you see, the figures absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think we we talked about it before, right? That um, probably the world's attention now is going to move on um, with the Bundesliga being back, and then if if the big you mentioned the big five leagues, Ross. I don't know if you have inside information about the Scottish top flight coming back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but, <laughs> yes, I but did. What,
3: but what you have to give the Koreans absolutely terrific credit for is the fact that they took that moment, they seized that opportunity where they knew they were the only show in town all over the world. Yeah. And it wasn't just about um, capturing that moment for the one weekend. They've actually got broadcast deals in place now which will last for the duration of that season. So now how, how, how well those figures hold up? Obviously there's going to be a significant drop off from, from what we saw last weekend. But the fact remains that South Korean football will be beamed into people's homes all around the world for the next yeah. eight, nine months. And I think they've done a, a wonderful job of making sure that's the case. And so, so good luck to them. I think it was a good start last weekend. They kind of showed that this could be done. It could be done safely. Um, everybody seemed to be in control of, of what was happening. So it definitely gives us confidence for looking ahead to the other leagues getting started up in the next few weeks. And yeah, yeah let, let's hope we get back to talking about football again.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, over a thousand players were tested. Um, it's thought, Bob, this will be the blueprint for other leagues to follow. This one,
1: yeah, I mean they did it very well um, and all that. But at the end of the day, was the spectacle there? Was was it really gripping entertainment like uh, like football normally is? And I, I'm afraid, you know, the answer has to be no. no. I know it's only 1-0. The goal didn't come till the 84th minute um, and all that. But um, it wasn't riveting, was it? And people talk about the, um, the game between uh, Atalanta and Valencia, uh, one of the last games of the Champions League, which was 4-3 in Valencia, uh, quite a game. Um, one of the uh, Atalanta players scored four goals. Um, I mean, it was really some game. I saw the highlights of it. I don't know if anyone here saw the whole game, but it was behind closed doors. And I, I mean, the fact that you saw in the highlights, you just saw the goals going in, it looked okay. But here was a game in the Mastaya, one of the great cockpits of European football one of the great atmospheric grounds and Valencia were in with a shout in this game it would have been fantastic it would have been one of the great European nights and yet it was behind closed doors and it was eerie and a guy scored four goals you know I mean it it just says to me that this, is, this isn't great. No. We're going to have to get used to something which is not what we loved. No. It's this, a few leagues below. Absolutely. This is the future
2: of football. Right, we're out of time. So I'm going to say thank you and have a great weekend, Kish. Cheers, Ross. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you, Craig Wilkie. Thank you very much. And thank you, Bob Holmes.
1: Thanks everyone. And I hope I'm wrong.
2: Yeah, he, he sometimes is. <laughs> like, yeah, there isn't another beer in the fridge, Bob. Um uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe, stay indoors, speak to you Monday. Bye.
1: Some people are on the fridge, they think it's all over. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch on the ball next Friday on BFM89.9.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast.